Hi there, and welcome to the Higher Development Podcast with your hosts, Colton Swab and Gavin Aberatney. On this show, we'll share behind-the-scenes insights and lessons from our journeys in personal development, philosophy, mindset, and leadership. The goal with all of this is to help you integrate these various bodies of knowledge and reach a higher level of development so that you can live fully and in harmony with the world around you. Beyond learning from us, you also get insider access to experts in the fields of neuroscience, high performance, and much, much more, making this a place to learn candidly what you won't anywhere else. You can get access to the free resources we mentioned at highdevelopmentpodcast.com. So with all that said, let's get into today's episode. Okay, and welcome. So thanks for joining us, everybody. This is going to be a podcast interview with Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay is a transformational coach and executive advisor. She's really well known in the transformative technology space, uh, working consulting on companies that are building these technologies and learning how to use them more appropriately, um, and really is just like a pioneer in this space. And uh, I've had the chance of working really closely with Lindsay in the last several months as she's like bringing out a lot of new interesting content and courses. And a lot of it, I think, is going to be really interesting to people who are interested in this program. So I want to bring Lindsay on and introduce her and to get a chance to ask her some questions. So, hey, Lindsay. Hi, Colton. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, super excited. And again, like the background is perfect. <laughs> I want to <laughs> this. It's really, really awesome. So, I mean, of all the things you've got coming up right now, like what do you think is the most exciting one that you're like looking at in terms of concepts? As far as what, um, what we've been working on together? Yeah, I think that'd be a good place to start. So in terms of like the course or metagame or, you know, even like the nonprofit, like which part right now is the most interesting to you? I think the metagame course that I'm working on is most exciting for me because I know that basically I'm working on a course called metagame and it's about um, how to access like not just resilience, but like a superhuman resilience, which I'm really excited to share with more and more people because they're um, techniques. It's a tech, it's a strategy for a combination of techniques that I've been bringing to my one-on-one clients for so many years and have seen such incredible results. And because of what's going on in the world right now, I when coronavirus hit, I made a decision that I wanted to get it to even more people and faster because I know that it works. And so many people are really struggling right now with so much stress um, considering everything that's going on. So I'm just really excited to share it with people because I know that it'll be that it's needed. We all need tools right now to build our, our resilience to everything that's going on. I mean, for sure. There's a lot of people that in this program specifically because of like, we'll call them negative influences which is essentially external and internal influences that just compromise people, lock up their levels of development and kind of bring them more into like that scarce, like fear-based state and all the kind of, for us, it's mostly the decisions that are made from that state have like a tremendous like compounding effect negatively in people's lives. So like stopping that from happening. But what's interesting about what you do is actually like when, like we focus mostly on stopping that problem from occurring, but like you talk about like superhuman. So it's like, what's that edge that people are going to to like when they're not, you know, where they're more resilient. So they've kind of got some protection and some awareness around, you know, what's affecting them and how it's affecting them. What does the next level above that look like in terms of, you know, I'm resilient. So now it's like, what is it high performance or what does that leading edge look like? Yeah, it's, I would call it like an awakened peak performance or a full flow. Like a lot of people are really into flow state and getting into a flow state, which is a temporary 
um, state of performance excellence on a specific task that you're striving to be excellent in. And it's usually, you know, your sport or your business or your whatever, wherever your creative juices are going and it's temporary and then it shuts down and then we still have to deal with all the stresses in our relationships and our life and Mm. et cetera. And so an awakened, what I do, what I help my clients do and what metagame is going to help people do is access um, not only increasing like the baseline of total well-being, which I find is actually easy to do from a top-down approach. So it's a top-down approach using like kind of like the mind as Mm -hmm. the approach to health and wealth, even physical health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And then once your baseline of fundamental well-being is increased, which is actually pretty easy when you work from the top down, then you can start experiencing flow states. And once you start experiencing flow states, it's much easier to transition into an ongoing and persistent, like full flow or awakened peak performance. And that part um, is easy, is a little, is easier than it sounds. And people don't, a lot of people think of like awakening beyond, you know, beyond the ego or beyond self-awareness as this this experience where um, they're not going to be able to perform their tasks, but they're what I've found is a strategy where there is still an ability for peak performance, even in these higher states. Mm, okay. So that's, yeah, that's an interesting one. So in terms of once you get, well, I guess a few questions. First thing, why not stay at the level of flow state? Why, um, instead of just triggering that button all the time, why go to that level where it's more sustained? Like what, what ends up happening if you stay in that level? Yeah, well, if you look at the research on flow states and like on the athletes, especially, and you look at the rest of their lives, you know, like the, the basketball athlete that shoots, you know, whatever, however many slam dunks or whatever in a row, um, like if you look at the rest of their lives, they don't, they're not trained to have the emotional intelligence or whatever capacities are needed to actually be satisfied um, in daily life. And so there's a lot of experts in the world. There's a lot of expert athletes, expert musicians, expert, you know, entrepreneurs and business people and like incredible experts, but there's not a lot of masters, masters of the day of daily life. And so that's the difference between a full flow or, and where you're able to tap into that present state of immersed uh, um, activity or like um, what would be called a vital engagement, mm, right. like total vital engagement um, temporarily versus in an ongoing way. Right. So the whole like selfless, you know, I lose track of time and I'm just united with the thing that I'm focused on, but then there's like a drop off after that where it's like you're kind of tired from being in a flow state and you have to like recover to get back into it again. So it's like, how is, um, well, just in general, I guess, actually with the awakened stuff as well, because I know some people's idea of awakening is kind of, you know, they take a trip to Peru and then have an experience where they kind of lose all sense of ego and come back and like they have to reintegrate with life. And I know a lot of people in the program have had like types of experience of awakened states before where they have like the consciousness open up much higher in terms of bandwidth and presence and detail and quality and like really start to access those higher states. Um, but like, so like, what does awakened look like in, in terms of how that relates to living like a functional, normal human life again, or just like integrating the two? Yeah. Well, when I think of the definition of like enlightenment or awakening or self-transcendence, ultimately it's like a destabilized sense of inner peace, calm and happiness. 
Mm. And when you think about like what that really means, it's um, like an elimination of negative states and a flourishing of positive states. And right. so a lot of people might have those, those openings, those spontaneous openings when they're like out of their typical culture, or taken out of their typical environment on a meditation retreat or whatever. And they're, they're in this unusual environment that spikes a, or that creates a peak experience. But there's also a way to strategize like, well, if you think of what that peak experience is and the characteristics of what that is which is a flourishing of positive states and a total elimination of neg negative states and try to reverse engineer that with the specific mm -hmm. techniques and strategies, then it's, there's a way to do it that's much more manageable where you're still able to function. Gotcha. Interesting. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, it certainly does. I mean, there's a, I mean, this is where you kind of see the executive coach come into it, right? In terms of like the people who are experts who need that help, like reintegrating with normal life again. Um, and we, we see that a lot too, in terms of the tricky one, like I, I'm actually personally curious with this one as well, because a lot of times we see a lot, uh, basically acts of creation or like really productive moments coming from some sort of negative conditioning or like a trauma response or like usually from like a not positive place. And then people find themselves having awakening experiences on the other side of having done a lot of work and basically for the first time having the ability to even think about like what goes beyond, you know, like getting up like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and in terms of that, so like, how does that reconcile in terms of like living a awakened, like, like you said, flourishing of positive states? How do you relate to doing things like being productive, having a job, doing like normal family stuff? Like, how does that change when you're at that level? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a complicated and very like personal. It's a very personalized experience. And so I know what really helped me was being a, knowing that it's normal right? It's like when, once you get there, it's, well, I guess first I'll say like that self-transcendence, like there's a, um, right, because you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of beings. And so there's kind of like this ontological fallacy of the Western thought that where self, Maslow's self-actualization is the tip, the apex of the pyramid, right? But then later in his life, he actually had the experience of self-transcendence and had a total a fundamental shift in his lens of reality where his the locus of his identity moved from a sense of self to like outside of himself where he was actually able to um, have a locus of identity and more uh, outside of himself like world-centric ethnocentric cosmocentric sense of self and so or the shift from the sense of self as a mental construct to the sense of self as the field of pure awareness and so it's when someone moves outside of the self. And then, um, so when that happens, there's a way where it's like not so overwhelming, <laughs> I guess. And what really helped me is knowing that there's different depths and locations. There, it's like a spectrum, right? And that you can actually kind of find where you fit on that spectrum through different techniques and practices. And so, like I said, it's very... It's a personalized approach. And so what I help, what, what I'm going to teach in Metagame and what I help my clients do is really identify which techniques help them stabilize like their day-to-day -day state of consciousness or their day-to-day, -day, it's not really a state, but their day-to-day -day consciousness. And then the techniques that help them transition into these higher, higher states 
And so then you're able to access ones that might feel too overwhelming if you needed to drive your car or whatever, right. but, it, but it's just the perfect technique to use while sitting in meditation or in your hot tub or whatever you might be doing, you know, and it's finding what works best for you um, mm. on a day-to-day basis. And then during those moments where you're taking a break and really want to go, go deeper, the depth. Mm, gotcha. So it's basically also just making sure you stay in that spot and don't get knocked out of it and then kind of know what tools you can trigger to go into certain kind of states you want to. So it's like the whole matching your states to your tasks kind of thing as well, right? Yeah, exactly. It's about like customized consciousness and being able mm. to pinpoint which techniques have what effect on you. It's like it's like a game, but with the top down approach rather than the bottom up approach substances. Got it. Got it. So yeah, a lot of people going through this program as well will already have heard of like top down, bottom up approaches and like be kind of choosing their own as well. We did use spiral dynamics as a way of explaining states as well. But like, how would you maybe also describe some of those like higher performing states, like in terms of like, is it the locations model? Or like, what would you think is the easiest way for someone to um, understand that for the first time in terms of there being other spots above that, like kind of finding what works for them? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I, I use the locations model. Um, we both know Jeffrey Martin's model of the locations. And then I also, I tie that, I always tie that back to Maslow's hierarchy. And I'm actually working on publishing a peer review article on kind of reifying Maslow's hierarchy. And so we talked about self-actualization being like the peak performance state. And that's often where flow state happens. And then there's self-transcendence when you, your sense of self, becomes outside of yourself and then like eventually you have to trans transcend transcendence and then there's these other talk about in this article that i'm publishing with roger walsh um, such as Hmm. uh, selfless service and uh, motivation transcendence and transpersonal spontaneity and then combine that with the locations and it's it's also like a spiral i also see it like a spiral so we're always having to um to kind of, or another way to think of it is like the conscious, the higher conscious and the subconscious. And it's a cycle of like, just being able to, um, to continue up the spiral into of self-transcendence, but, um, but knowing that we're always going, we always, we have, we're conditioned, right? Like we're conditioned by our childhood, we're conditioned by society, we're conditioned by envir- our environment and the media and our social media and our friends that we're with. And so there's always like a, um, you're always having to tend, tend to it. And so that's why it's good to know what techniques work best for you so you can continue to stay in your okay. autonomy. So you can like kind of control where on the spiral you end up and then that sort of thing. So at the higher levels of the spiral then is like ego is like dissolution is a big part of it, right? That jump between, is it self-actualization and self-transcendence in this one? Or like, how does the, um, I mean, really the interesting piece I think most people like don't acknowledge when it comes to this is like once you get to that place and there is less ego and like you said, like developing those new competencies and new areas or like new skills or that full flow kind of state, like how does the ego reintegrate? Like what does that kind of look like and how does that does that fit into the spiral that you're talking about as well in terms of Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people, like a lot of skeptics, I think think of um like spiritual practices or just like Eastern contemplative sciences and studies and meditation and mindfulness to 
they're skeptical of it because they're like almost scared because they don't want to completely dissolve the ego, you know, mm. and they're like, they still want to be able to function. They, people like their sense of self, like people are attached to their ego, obviously, especially if they're doing well with it, if they're successful, you know, but mm. that's actually, I think, an, an inaccurate assumption of Eastern approaches. And when you look, like, look deeper into the, the teachings of those, the, those types of spiritual lineages, they actually teach that it's not like a total disillusion of the ego. ego. It's an actually a, um, a purification and a, like a cleaning up of the sense of self and like a reorganization of the ego. And so it's like part of it dissolves. It's like there's, we, we wake up to the separate self, the separate self being um, like what we're conditioned by. And we wake up into the true self. And then the true self, it's not like the sense of self is still useful. So we have an ego, but it's like we're putting it to better use. And that's where altru altruism comes in versus the self-interest of an egocentric person. You know, uh, so we're driven, we're driven by our motivation and it usually is broken down into either self-interest or um, altruism. And when we access these higher states, we become more altruistic and mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, I was like, oh, I didn't actually realize that. So there's different, so the way that you would talk about it is there's different sections of the ego and parts of them can fall off in terms of, I think you called it separate self or external self and then true self. Um, are those the only two pieces of that or is there, is there more to that as well? Um, yeah, the separate self, false self and true self. So separate self is kind of, I think of as, um, like are the conditioning, like I mentioned, you know, our conditioned self, the separate self, it's like, that's not our, like what our, you know, the family systems conditioning, that's not who we truly are, but it forms these belief systems about what we think that we are. Right. And those can actually be, as we know, be reprogrammed and, and awakened into a, a true, a true self. Um, and so I'm trying to tie this back to your original question about the ego, um, because, yeah, I think there's just like a, there's a redefinition that happens of the identity. Right. So the ego is still it, it can be, we have more control over it because usually our belief systems get changed. And so it's like a, a cleaning up of the ego. Gotcha. So it's, um, okay. I think a cool way that kind of, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like pretty close to rocket science at this point. It's like psychological equivalent of rocket science. Um, it's quite a lot to piece together, but in terms of like how it goes into what's useful, I guess, cause the ego thing tends to be the the balancing between actually having to do the things that you have to do, but also basically being able to enjoy life enough while you're doing them. Cause like without the conditioning, without the separate self and basically all the stuff that just like adds a poor flavor to life in general, you know, all the stuff people are constantly dealing with the recurring problems, the conditioning, the responses to that. I mean, there's a lot of like stuff that we'll talk about how people manage those things before they reach a total dissolution of self a redefinition of self. Um, but I think it like the, this conversation in general is necessary to have for people who are interested in going to that level, but also knowing that they can still continue to do what they need to do. Um, but does it change? So it's like, if you go from full flow and beyond that, um, does the actual matter of the tasks change? Like, are you able to be high performing at all tasks that you choose? Or do you simply, does it only work if they're like altruistic, for instance? Like, or is that a piece of this at all? Like, does it matter yeah. what it is you're working on? Um, I think 
the motivation for what you're working on changes. And so, like you said before, like it's the, like I think I see modern enlightenment as being able to ma- match the, the, our state of consciousness to the task that we need. And then the tasks that you choose are driven by what we're motivated by. And more often than not, when we're in these higher states of consciousness, we're more often motivated by altruism because our sense of self is located outside of ourself. We have more um, consideration and compassion for other people, for our community, for our employees, you know, for the world at large, for the ecosystem, you know, and so the, our motivations for what we choose to create, what we choose to do with our time, how we treat people changes. Mm. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's people who, you know, are still motivated by self-interest. It's kind of like we, we flutter back and forth. I'm not saying this is like a linear, a right. linear line. It's like there's always a fluctuation and that, that's why there's always a maintenance to do. There's always, it's like flossing. We always have mental hygiene, right? We always have to do these practices that we know work for us to be able to come from an absolute compassion which is functioning from these higher states of, that are more altruistically motivated rather than from like a relative compassion, whereas relative compassion is more from the sense of self as an, you know, uh, an egocentric model where, we're, where it's very limited, it's very selective, you know, but even, even being motivated to be more altruistic could be motivated by self-interest because we want to reach more people. We want to like have a greater impact, you know? So it's this complex fluctuation of the spiral dynamics, like what you guys talk about, you know? Yeah. Well, you kind of see this too with people being, um, you know, I'm more spiritual than other people or like, oh, you're just not, you're not at that level yet. Like you don't understand. There's like a lot of like spiritual um, laddering or posturing that goes on inside the communities. There's less that I think in like other ones, but this it's kind of, it's just ironic. So it's probably more obvious in these types of communities. So it's kind of funny. I think people need to see that it is more connected and not just, you know, once I've had a peak state once or I can do it a few times or, you know, maybe I'm a programmer and I get there all the time. Um, but like, really, there is like a, you can go back into self-interest and there's sort of these, you know, these different functioning locations or baselines of gravity that you start to centralize in for whatever it is that you kind of are focusing on doing. Um, I mean, what would be like some of the reasons that people would want to do this um, in terms of like finding out what that level looks like for them? Like, what do you have examples of like can people who are kind of in that state and what like generally their level of like results or lives or quality of lives look like or sort of like unique you know, balances there manages to strike like through this like higher level of integration, like in terms of your personal experience working with these kind of people? As far as like the benefits that I found once they got into these higher states? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of Um, like the the reason someone would want to go there in terms of a guidepost. Yeah, I think especially right now with all of the complex stresses that we're facing in the world, there's um, like you talked about, I think at the beginning, like we are at greater risk of, mm. to the negativity bias in the brain where we're more, we more easily absorb um, negativity and, and can get stuck there a lot easier when we're constantly seeing things on the news about the fires and about coronavirus and the politics and all of these things. So we, we can more easily get trapped in negativity of like everything else, which creates, um, you know, short-term decision-making, um, fear, doubt, and disbelief, and it 
can easily just getting distracted, low energy, um, irritability. And so a lot of my clients come to me because they're kind of in this this mode of fight or flight and kind of stuck there. And they know that it's this ad- addiction to adrenaline and they need to like break that cycle of mm-hmm. that negativity bias in the brain. And then what ends up happening is like a clarity and better decision-making, better complex decision-making in, in shorter, shorter term, shorter amounts of time. Like what's happening right now. Like, you know, I had a client who had to like a lot of people move his entire business into virtual you know, and needing to be able to do, make those decisions really quickly. And they're really complex decisions and having to do it while also thinking long-term and not just short-term. So the ability to have complex long-term decision-making processes that are creative too, and just being able to stay centered, just like a peacefulness, like an un, I like a totally stable, centered peacefulness, clarity of mind, creativity, insight, mm. while also caring for everyone that's being impacted by these decisions. You know, all of the employees, all of the clients or customers, the family, you know, keeping everyone in mind. So it's really just, it's truly like a mastery. Mm. That's so interesting. I mean, we actually, a a common thread in the program itself is that of self-mastery because it is going to come down to essentially what works for everyone is going to be a little bit different for you. There'll be some level of approach based on conditioning or your immediate environment or like previous experiences and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it's, it's interesting to go to that level that you also equated it to like to mastery. Um, I'd be curious actually in terms of, is there a link between long-term and short-term thinking with flow states and beyond flow states? Like do, in terms of like a flow state sort of lifestyle where you're basically just pushing that flow button as much as you can, do you find that affects like long-term decision-making and these sort of like, you know, bigger picture ways of viewing things in terms of going from flow to optimal or whatever above that is? Yeah, I think with flow, it's like the temporary flow state, like it's very, it's very short term, you're very much just temporary task or like that specific task oriented. Um, But when that rolls over into like a throughout the day, in an ongoing way, there's, there's more, yeah, there is a more I think a greater capacity for a long-term strategy. And I think that is often motivated from the altruism that we were talking about earlier, because it's like, how, how can we strategically contribute to this world that's falling apart? Right. Cause when we, we wake up and we have all these realizations about um, our, our new sense of true self or whatever. And then it's like, well, in the ego, maybe dissolves a little bit, but really just gets re- redefined. And then what do we, what do we do? And it's about wanting to usually wanting to give back of that selfless service or karma yoga. And so being able to think long-term about this, the strategy for what we're, how we're contributing. Mm. Gotcha. And to be, to be in that flow state and like an effortlessness of that, what that contribution is on a small scale and large scale, you know, starting just for ourselves and for our family and communities and then businesses and then larger scale. Gotcha. So that's the common thread then is the best interest of those around me, starting with my family or those immediately close to me. And then where I think I'm strategically the most uniquely capable of solving some sort of specific, you know, external or transcendental problem. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's interesting how it all sort of relates. There's a very like there's a set of common threads through all of it. I think the people going through the program then straight into this is going to, uh, it's going to be a huge like it's there's a lot of stuff that's like slightly expanded upon, you know, or actually dramatically expanded upon in terms of those far reaches of consciousness. Um, and that's the part I'm most interested in is actually instead of just giving people who need you know, a glimpse into higher consciousness, but more of those who have things they need to do, who are constantly doing things, making things, building things. They want to get funding to make new things. Um, and that's where I'm actually pretty interested in the transformative technology side of that because it is so, I mean, that, that contrast between technology itself and humanity and how those two things kind of interrelate in terms of one, how we got in this position in the first place. Um, and then two, the kind of the fact that you can't put this away once it starts to happen. You know, we focus mostly on the cultural aspect of that in terms of what happens when people start influencing other people using technology. Um, so the technologies are definitely amplifying it. Um, but I know you talk about like, the new future or uh, leaders of the new future and this sort of stuff. Like, what do you see in terms of um, how do people kind of come together? What kind of things can they do when they start to strategically, you know, assert themselves where they think they can be the most helpful for these sort of altruistic things that call to them? You know, like, what's that? category of person like and what kind of things do they do usually um what do you mean as far as how it relates to technology uh well just in terms of being a an interesting thing that people kind of need to adopt at this point like because obviously technology is an interrelated part of our lives between the our cell phones being like if things are compromising us in terms of news or the external you know influences technology is the main way that we're being accessed you know in terms of kind of always on and it's like that interesting thing where like if you want to become more spiritual or self-transcendent, you go to the cave or, you know, you kind of remove all those influences. But I think it's really interesting at these states where you can start to integrate more with the external world, you know, instead of like creating more of a sense of isolation to let, you know, consciousness kind of naturally raise its level up, but to bring that level of consciousness into a, you know, doing and making side of things. So transform technology is kind of the forefront of that. Because it's like taking the same things that kind of really gave us the abundance of free time to have these new sets of problems, <laughs> in a sense, because before it was very, you know, solve the immediate problems of food, hunger, shelter, and like small tribe stuff. Um, but it's also put people square in the middle of this sort of complex system where there's like, you know, millions of different tribes and it's hard to orientate who is who and who is where and all the social stuff in terms of that. Um, and technology or transform technology specifically is really interesting because it affects so many of those people simultaneously at like an individual level. So it's interesting, I guess, the trend that people who see this level of consciousness are often in those kind of sectors where like they kind of need to, you know, in terms of the impact of what they're already working on. Totally. I mean, but, yeah, but the question is, I guess, in terms of like, how does that show up in terms of leadership, like for people who, you know, feel like they want to do this for themselves and like what kind of environment are they entering into when they're doing that? Yeah, I think, um, one of the most important things right now that our world need is is an awakened lead, more awakened leaders, right? Um, but unfortunately, we're seeing this cognition crisis or psychological crisis where depression and anxiety and teen suit, all of these things, um, Alzheimer's, it's just like increasing at an exponential rate. And in order to close that gap of human suffering on a psychological level, there's no way we could do it if only humans were healthy and humans. 
you know, there's, there's just, if all, if we just dropped everything that we were doing as humans and took all of the, you know, counseling and coaching institutes or whatever and trained all the humans, we like, we still wouldn't be able to close that gap because that many people are suffering that bad. Um, and so that's where, like, why um, transformative technologies are, are, are hopeful, you know, create hope because it can, um, it can help close that gap by increasing our ability to help other people with their, mm-hmm. um, with the, the psychological crises that we face in a faster way. So I, ha- I have like a couple here, like the Muse neurofeedback headset. Um, That's for awesome. meditation. There's the Zendo, which is new also for meditation. Oops. Oh yeah. Like stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, there's the um, Apollo Neuro, and there's, I mean, there's so many. And what it can do is really increase our ability to have, you know, more quality meditation. You know, all of the meditation apps, you can learn meditation. There's just, there's millions of technologies to help us access um, ways that are reliable to self-regulate our nervous system. And to help manage it. Um, but my concern, though, with these transformative technologies is that it's really addressing an individualistic sense of optimization, right? And what I would really, um, what I would really appreciate seeing more of is like these transformative technologies actually bringing communities together and mm-hmm. um, like person to person. And I know that there are a lot of um, technologies and like apps and stuff that use actual therapists and coaches integrated with the meditation teachings and stuff like that. So I would encourage people, you know, that are struggling to really seek ones that like have communities too and really build build support. So we're not just more dependent on these external devices and stuff like that. But I do. I mean, they are great. I see. Um, business executives distributing Fitbits to their employees to help manage stress levels. And, you know, so Mm. there's tons, tons of benefits that can, a lot of people are scared of technologies being the thing that's driving us into extinction or whatever, but there are Mm. a certain subgroup of technologies that can actually support us to have this better clarity, have this long-term strategic thinking to help us get out of this, um, this rut that we're in, in a way Mm. that, a little bit faster. Yeah. And just to, I guess for people listening as well, if they're not like super aware of what the cognition crisis and some of the earlier things you mentioned would be, but that'd be in terms of like the exponential rise of mental health challenges, uh, teen suicide, Alzheimer's, and these type of things that are just exponentially increasing at the same rate that certain things like uh, deaths by falling, you know, and deaths by fire and water have also dramatically decreased. They kind of did this thing, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, but so in terms of like, now that you're in the situation, technology is also, it's heavily contributed to those mental health challenges, but it also will be the same thing that can help people by increasing connections amongst people uh, to stimulate communities, like you were saying. Um, there is, I'm kind of going to hit you left out of field, out of left field with this one. Um, it's just something that personally, like I'd be curious about as well, because there's this interesting dichotomy between people who start to get to these sort of self-transcendent states and how they start to re-identify themselves. Um, in terms of the balance of the individual and the collective. So, because the collective is also a huge source of individual challenges for a lot of people in many like common states of consciousness. So a lot of the spiral dynamics ones, like collective consensus-based thinking is a huge 
personal problem for a lot of people in terms of what that collective is because the you know the basic ballot options of you know consensus are pretty they're limited and they come with these sort of uh, assumed frames or assumed like clauses in terms of like you know arguments i have on like polarizing issues and this sort of stuff and it's hard for people to compartmentalize so they a lot of people find uh personal freedom really in the ability to identify as an individual and then use that to get to a certain level so how does that um and you mentioned before in terms of someone's unique strategic point of leverage to like start to contribute to an altruistic cause so i mean i just in general like you're probably one of the most well-researched people on this specific topic in general um like how or with just all of these topics but like how does that relate to like the pursuit of like the individual and their unique strategic things they can help with but also still being you know more transpersonal and more collective like how does the individual and the collective start to balance itself at some point or does it ever yeah. So that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, like when someone wakes up and their ego doesn't necessarily dissolves, but gets reformed. So they wake up to their strategic, what their higher purpose is, essentially. Their true self find a higher purpose or gets redefined or, the, or just the motivation changes. Maybe you've already found your higher purpose when you're self-actualized, but just then the motivation changes or whatever. So then... Right then it's about like knowing what your unique contribution is and 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 seeing how that's that's situated in the collective how that's contributing in a beneficial way to the collective and knowing not getting like overwhelmed that the collective needs to be totally deconstructed and reconstructed and feeling the heavy weight of the entire world on your shoulders um, but mm -hmm. actually knowing i have this very unique sliver of, of work to do and it's very specific and I'm going to just do, just do that and just focus on that and know that if everyone's just doing that, mm -hmm. then we'll be okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. I mean, that's, that's huge for a lot of people. I think that start to experience this as well is like the immediate weight of it, like the guilt that comes up for a lot of people yeah. or the, you know, just constant sadness of like refreshing the newsfeed and seeing like, you know, these the, the collective as they perceive it just kind of constantly in this state of like struggle or these things going on so like the strength of them is finding it individually how you can reflect on that so i guess for a lot of people then they probably already have jobs so they probably already have things they're committed to um in terms of like families or their whether all their time goes but i know a lot of people start to feel that calling they start to like they recognize it but they haven't really prioritized it perhaps or it just hasn't become more of a centralized thing in their life and like you were saying re-identifying around that so what are like some of the first levels of someone who's like recognized that call kind of knows they should be doing this, but isn't really knowing sure where they fit on the spiral or of all these different frameworks, where they sit and kind of what the next steps are for them. What are like the gentlest starting points for people who, you know, want to start moving more in this direction and becoming more of an awakened leader? Yeah, it's, I think, um, of course, it's, very, it's so personalized and really depends on the context, but I think that the best advice would be to listen to those intuitive impulses and follow them, but not be so attached. Mm. You know, that's kind of the key. That's like the, the karma yoga thing is to like, like fo follow your intuitive and strategic inner guidance and your inner compass of what your purpose is knowing that it, it might not pan out and that might not be the thing. You don't want to get too attached to the identity and ego around what the thing is that you're creating. Right. Mm. But to just know that just following that is, 
is the thing to do. And it, and it might, sh- something else might show up totally differently. And that's where the effortlessness of, of flow, of full flow comes in. It's yep. just by following those whispers of your intuition and those whispers in your heart. And then something else appears totally effortlessly that could be way better, way different, or like have greater impact or whatever it might be, you know, or it could lead you to someone that's already doing the exact thing that you thought was yours to do. And then you can just, um, you know, collaborate in a way that's even more powerful or, you know, there's so many, that's um, the transpersonal spontaneity that comes into play when you just take it, take one step at a time without being too attached to the outcome. Mm, that's uh, non-attachment's huge for that. I would imagine, um, in terms of taking steps, but not having the crippling, you know, like struggles with promoting yourself or struggle putting yourself out there, and like all the the pressure that comes from that. Yeah, because that's where the the stress of the ego comes in, and then it brings us into those lower stages again. And then you have to go back to your techniques and get back into the higher stages, and, and it all feeds <laughs> together at that point. <laughs> Well, so I guess in terms of like, so that's what it looks like and the path is there and like people feel that. Is there like a consequence for ignoring the, you know, those sort of intuitive nudges or the impulses? Like if you just like keep ignoring that, keep overriding that or just letting like something that's more scarce and immediate but not as real of a threat, uh, like what happens if you do continue to ignore that inner nudge? Yeah, I think it's like a, like um, a soul level issue where you feel this like, this existential anxiety or this like this heaviness in your heart of like almost regretting not listening to your intuition, you know, and then it can be like a domino effect from there. If you're always feeling this heaviness or this existential anxiety, um, then that's just going to have a ripple effect into your relationships and into how you show up and, and what you chose instead and your effectiveness and your contribution is going to minimize. And then it's this, um, you know, kind of this negative cycle that's hard to get out of. That makes sense. Does it, do you think it still affects people who are like, I mean, obviously you work with a lot of executives that are working at like really high levels. Do you think this sort of stuff in terms of that personal or soul level struggle still affects people who are operating at like a really high level of performance or productivity or, you know, these sort of high output states? Do you think they still go home with these sort of challenges? Yeah, I think totally. I think I'm probably even more. Okay. I'm noticing because they are responsible for, you know, the livelihood of all of their employees on top of all of their customers, you know, it's like a a larger ecosystem ecosystem to manage than say Mm. just a family or whatever. So there's a greater level of responsibility. So that heaviness can be, can be really hard. And, Mm. but it's, it's still totally manageable because once you're taking care of yourself and you've reached a level of fundamental well-being, then you can really just do one one little step at a time. Hmm. Gotcha. And in terms of that, oh yeah, in terms of that, um, in terms of how people deal with that as well, like because those people are already some level of altruistic. You know, they have employees, they have people they're taking care of every day, but they personally feel the struggle. So like for someone who's in that position, is the first step like prioritizing themselves or like, is it like boundaries or like, let's just say like someone's listening to this and they've just like, kind of like, oh, wow, this is describing my situation. You know, is it like, what do they do in terms of like personally getting back to a place like you said, fundamental well-being? How can they stop the bad thing and get to a place where they can enter that sort of spot of just peace and drop the negative emotions off and just allow the positive flourishing to start happening? Yeah, absolutely. It has to start with the self. 
It has, it has to start with just taking care of yourself and, and having, having obviously discipline helps, which is why I, I really like working with executives and entrepreneurs is because they're usually generally pretty motivated to just be disciplined and stick to a program. And right. that's the other thing too, is having a program, like knowing how to strategize, you know? And so a very simple thing that people could remember that they could, you know, get out of this is the, um, the principle of complementarity, which is to, what is your strategy for minimizing negative states? and increasing the flourishing of positive states. You know, do you have a strategy for dealing with, with negative states or are you just ignoring them? Because ignoring them isn't a strategy. You know, and then do you have a strategy for bringing in positive states? You know, little neurohacking techniques that you do every morning and every night before you go to bed and every morning when you wake up or and throughout the day too. Are you, you know, basic things like do you, are you, do you have gratitude? Do you have a simple mm. gratitude list? Or do you practice forgiveness? Um, just even just in your mind, um, you mm. know, just, just these little things of positivity can really make a huge difference in getting us out of those negative neural networks and then building new habits. Um, but then it's also about minimizing, minimizing the negative states and actually addressing the grief that we carry for the thing that happened a couple years ago or whatever and actually addressing those and like letting it go so that we can stack on these positive habits and have them be even more effective. Mm, that's, I mean, I can't believe we went through almost a whole hour here without even talking about the neuroscience side of stuff as well. Um, that's <laughs> obviously like one of your specialities. Um, so I guess just like some last topics here in terms of like for this, uh, this podcast interview is like how does uh, some of this higher level state stuff show up at like a neuroscience level. So I know people will talk about or already have probably some understanding of how like the fear-based amygdala and those sort of systems. But like, what about the higher based ones and the more positive flourishing? Like, how does that show up? And like, is it sticky? Like, is it something that gets stronger over time? Or like, how does that work? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything that we're talking about in these higher levels of um, cognition and consciousness is about what, like what I would call taming the reptilian brain. And so there's like this handy model of the brain, your hand. Right. <laughs> yeah. <so laughs> and he, there's like the reptilian yeah. brain, right? I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. Is this like the lower part, like that's close to our spine. And it's like our deepest level of conditioning. It's the most ancient neural pathways of survival mode and fight or flight. It's like, but it's way deeper than fight or flight. It's just that instinct that's really deep in our consciousness. And then there's the limbic, there's the limbic brain, which is in the middle somewhere. And then the prefrontal cortex. And um, yeah. And so the prefrontal cortex is our rational thinking. And that's like the beta state, which we're in right now. And that's also where we get into into intuition and creativity and flow and um, these higher insights. But we're always kind of stuck in this cybernetic feedback loop between the reptilian brain and the limbic brain, but, and we're trying to rationalize our behavior that's coming from our instinct when we're actually kidding ourselves because we're just acting in emotion and instinct. And so it's about practicing getting into these higher states to be able to have control over our reptilian brain and to tame that reptilian brain. There's all kinds of studies and research that show that like stress is essentially the physiological effects of stress and stress itself is a choice. Like we, in every moment we have a choice of how we're going to respond and to and manage our stress, but it takes like a high, a high level of effort 
because, um, you know, nature, we're biologically designed by nature to stay in that, in that reptilian brain, to stay in that midbrain, because that's what's, that's what's enabled us to survive and develop as a species for so long. But that mechanism is no longer serving us to evolve. It's actually turning us in the opposite direction. So it takes extra effort, like doing those positivity exercises every day, as simple and as remedial as it might sound, makes a huge difference. And meditating on a regular basis makes a huge difference. We have to make the extra effort to have that autonomy and control over our midbrain and over those that, that reptilian brain to be able to to make decisions and to think clearly without having that instinct that's just driving us to survive or driving us to be in fight or flight, which is obviously like so many people are stuck in that right now because just of the state of the world, you know? So it takes really ex even extra effort now more than it did seven months ago. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people are feeling that where they're just like, they had some level of practice and then just everything just got dialed up, but it wasn't, you know, the practice wasn't putting them in a state where they were high enough up in terms of development to have like the ability to top down regulate things as much as possible. They had like a level that was working for the way things were, but so many people are experiencing so many new shifts in terms of like their jobs, obviously, and the roles or how they're working. Um, and then just that general stress. So people are obviously feeling this shift as well. So, I mean, is this sort of like what metagame ties back into is like how, like what can people do in terms of you know, they now need to adapt and like prioritize self-care and this sort of stuff and find out what works for them, what the tiny steps are to kind of bring themselves up into that state again. Like what are some next steps for people who would be interested in doing something like that? Um, next steps. I, yeah, I, it's, it's all about resilience right now. I mean, even, even me, um, I live in Northern California and I was evacuated from the fires and, so you know, crazy. kind of was in an Airbnb for two weeks and just made a decision that I was, had this super resiliency and just like kept working, kept taking all my calls and felt great. And then when we relocated back into my house and like had to take a whole week to move all of our items back in and get unpacked and everything. And then I kind of took a step back and was like, Oh my God, like I need to just, take like really take a step back and like go deeper into my practices and mm. go deeper deeper into my self-care um even me I think like I really pride myself in being like super resilient but with with things like being evacuated the fires and with you know maybe being exposed to coronavirus or whatever it is we really have to um just really be disciplined to and committed to con to not only like dealing with it like how I did, like after the fact, but I should have done that right away, you know, like going deeper, like mm -hmm. prevention, you know, like it's really, I think, important for everyone right now to just really focus on going so deep into our practices that we come out like a totally, totally different person and to have that intention of like completely and totally transforming and becoming totally new mm -hmm. and different people and having a beginner's mind about it because that's what's needed for when shit hits the fan and we really need to stay centered, especially if you're an executive and you're responsible for all of these people um, in your business or whatever. It's like we really want to be ready and prepare ourselves, embrace ourselves for the long run because there's, um, there's probably more to come. Yeah. From one crisis <laughs> to another. I mean, 
been insane working on this stuff this whole time. It's went from uh, obviously coronavirus to uh, race riots within like a couple of weeks. And then, yeah, you messaged me saying you're evacuating your house because of fire tornadoes. And I think there's been <laughs> two waves of those now. So yeah, you know, I know there's another one right around like right around the corner. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know if there's like, yeah, maybe it's just bad timing, but it does definitely seem like there are more and more crises. And uh, obviously when people like everyone's being driven down, not just like this is just for people who are self-aware enough to even begin asking these questions. But the mass majority of people are not even thinking about it. They're very much in an autopilot reactive state. So it's like, it seems like the pressure that you're feeling as like a self-aware person who already has some level of practices or an extremely high level of practices, you specifically, and already functioning at some level of awakened leadership, you know, the people who are not even remotely asking these questions are being affected just as much. So I think some of it's like, yeah, obviously resilience to those people as well in terms of the things they'll end up doing. It's So it's again, like that kind of strengthen the individual side of things, but then, you know, finding the collective again in your way of working with it as opposed to, cause I know a lot of people feel this and they want to, they want to shut down or isolate more. And that's kind of spirals the whole mental health challenges of it. So it's that. Totally. Struggle. Yeah, totally. And what I would say too, for people listening is like, yes, it's important to meditate. Yes. It's important to like have neuro hacking tips on or techniques on hand and your favorite ones or whatever. But all of that is pretty fancy or whatever and might feel overwhelming, especially if you're really stressed out and to just remember like to always go back to the basics, like getting enough sleep and drinking Mm -hmm. enough of really good clean water is, is really foundational. And then, and then a little bit of exercise, even if it's bare minimum eating, right. Just always going back to the basics, like have that foundation. And that's how, how I teach it in the meta game is like the stack, right. Of the foundations and like always going back to the basics, because if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not, your meditation is going to be totally useless. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to break it to you. <laughs> you know, you need to be hydrated. You need to get enough sleep. You should be eating healthy. You should be at least stretching if you're not exercising, you know, do just do the bare minimum of the basics to have that foundation and then start stacking the, the other things that might feel a little bit harder to manage on top and just one at a time, you know, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. But just being, just keeping, like thinking about what your strategy is and staying on top of it. You know, it's the mental hygiene for preventative measures. It's just so so crucial. Mm-hmm. And prioritizing that—that's yeah, that's awesome. I think it's funny how little it's talked about that sleep is just a huge part of this in terms of just keep optimizing, optimizing. But the they cut back on like two hours of sleep a night and just kind of like do these sort of things where they basically optimize and time track their entire day you know, where there becomes no bounce between work life or personal life because you're just high performance person and there is no level of getting back that personal life and the professional life and that balance of it. I mean, it's just been, yeah, it's been an amazing conversation in terms of what it looks like at those higher levels for people. It's okay to have that happen at like a certain level of, you know, executive function and people who are doing big things are already kind of there. And if they're not yet prioritizing this shift and like getting to this place of themselves personally will wake them up to that sort of altruistic you know, uh, perpetual full flow, you know, altruistic momentum, motivation side of things. I mean, it's just been super awesome. I mean, I'd love to send people as well, like if they're interested in more, we've obviously mentioned your new course that's coming up metagame uh, several times through this. So that'll be coming out in the next couple of months. Uh, where can people go if they want to learn more about that um, in terms of like finding out, you know, what their stack could look like and these sort of things? Yeah, you can go to my website, lindsaybrenner.com or follow me on social media. I'll be making updates, 
Awesome. So yeah, that's uh, lindsaybriner.com. So L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-B-R-I-N-E-R.com. Yeah. And uh, we'll try to share a link as well with some of the new uh, content. We'll put whatever is most recent below this video as well for everybody to check out. And kind of what it looks like for more of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Lindsay, thanks again for taking the time to do this. Um, I'm sure people really appreciate it. So if everybody enjoyed it, like leave a comment or if you have any more questions, maybe we'll have Lindsay back again at some point. Uh, but thanks again for doing this and really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Cotton. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Higher Development Podcast. If you want to access free resources and go deeper with us, head to highdevelopmentpodcast.com. As a special thanks for listening to each new episode, we continually update this site with podcast notes, exclusive discounts, free courses, you name it. And as an added bonus, this is where you can submit any questions you may have for myself, Gavin, or any of our featured guests. So what you learn doesn't have to end here. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.